A reputation once broken may possibly be repaired, but the world will always keep their eyes on the spot where the crack was. Hey guys, good morning. You are listening to the Glock and Doc Audio Encounter. I'm Sadie Patchen and I'm sitting here with Tim Glockner, Dale King, and Joe Glockner. Good morning, guys. Good morning, good morning. Sadie. What and is Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's it. He's done. <laughs> so we actually are gathered here um, at the dam. So we have a new... We're, no, we're not at the church. There's no crucifix um so it's katie bar the door yeah so uh and and it's early on a monday morning kind of rainy but we're fired up dale ripped his compression shorts this morning squatting what did you squat dale uh 225 to uh, <laughs> i was 135 <laughs> he's got a good upper body people but his lower body is lacking it was a training bar so it wasn't even <laughs> Uh, okay, so this morning we are going to be talking about leveraging our greatest asset, reputation capital. And as yes. we were talking right before this, you could argue what your greatest asset might be. So excited, and we're going to get right into it this morning. Okay, so at an early age, um, and here comes the thunder. Oh, this is going to Let's be see. extra dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, never forget a lesson that my grandfather taught. Um, Joe and I are 13 months apart, so we, we grew up together. Mike um, was is six years younger than I, so at the time I was 10 years old. Mike was was just four years old. Um, but grandfather said, uh, how you act in public is a direct reflection on your mother, which oh. really stuck with me. And, and mom was just here, and she's looking for some pictures on this story. My mom's a hellraiser, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mom is a... She's a saint, um, and he, he, he knew that, and he knew that we knew that, and I sure as hell didn't want to embarrass my mom growing up, so that was my earliest lesson on reputation from an early age. So um, Now, she taught us some even more important lessons, like she would say, character is how you act when no one is watching, mm-hmm. and that was her way of shaming us, <laughs> <laughs> doing anything when, when she wasn't around, but... Uh, but both of them were looking out for our best interests and knew that uh, uh, your character is a its a fickle thing. It's tough to take care of, especially nowadays, and we'll get into that. But uh, So anyway, I want to tell this story about the early years of, of the bike club because those were great memories, were oh, they yeah. not, Joe? So, and now we've, the cool thing is we've been going through our history and putting this – uh, building together on Market Street that I didn't talk about last episode. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> So in case you guys are wondering, if you go back and listen to the last episode, or you can literally hear the softballs being thrown to Tim <laughs> to, to provide some input. And uh, he said, I wasn't feeling it. Thank you. <laughs> so and now he's back. On. He's back with he's the video. Yeah. Um, this is your one chance to redeem yourself. So like a hundred years before I established my bike club, my great-great-grandfather established what is now the oldest motorcycle club in America. Uh, still exists today in Portsmouth. But anyway, I digress. PMC, right? Yeah, Portsmouth Motorcycle Club. Cool. So we had probably 20-some members in our bike club. We were... Eight to ten years old, so third to fifth graders. Um, home base was our garage on Summit Street, and Nick and Nick Dingle's garage uh-huh. on Kenny's Lane. And his older brother Adam and I went through school together. Oh, now we got the train coming. Yeah. This, is so <laughs> this is authentic. <laughs> yeah, one one minute. <laughs> so there I was. There I was. <laughs> Nine years old. Bike Club, Summit Street. <laughs> so between the two home bases, 
were Jeff Rigsby's house, where we would go borrow his dad's Playboy magazines. Oh, yeah. Right? And borrow. then we, and then, <laughs> we had to return them. <laughs> we, would, we would return them. We'd get next month's copy. Um, and then we'd ride over to Hill Street, or Hill, Hilltop Carryout. Yeah. And Don's Grand Market. View, Don's Market. And we would get Jimmy Neutron Collins to buy us Cherry Skull Bandits. <laughs> we had to, we'd have to buy him a can, so we'd give him enough money for two cans. So he could have a can, and we'd, we'd get a can. It's a hell of a deal. We'd play uh, videos in, in the arcade room. And then we'd stop over at Johnny DePee's grandma's house across from Mountain Park on uh, Timmons and steal some of her cigarettes. <laughs> True story. Yeah. And then we'd head to Dangle's house and meet everyone there. So uh, so we're over there smoking and turning pages. And then uh, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of guys wanted to join the bike club, and it was an exclusive group. But one person in particular, Aaron Schmidt, was one of our good buddies, and he was an obnoxious kid. But And he had, he had an orange Huffy with the, the front pegs. He yeah. had the best bike in the city. Yeah. So he wasn't going to get in easily. You know what I mean? I was, and I was the self-appointed president. There was no election. You had just, veto power. Yeah. So I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have an initiation. It's blood in. Blood yeah. in, blood out. So we go to the old bonded gas station on Kenny's Lane and Side of Trail. You're, you know what I'm talking uh-huh. about? Yeah. So... And if you remember, it's one of the old gas stations where the gas attendant was in the middle, like in a glass box. So you oh, couldn't yeah. go in, you couldn't go in and buy anything. You just paid her and went on. But there was also a restroom there, separate, and you had to get the gas key from her. It was on like a big yeah, right. wooden stick. So we go, and you know the the uh, alley. So if you go through McAdoo's carryout, you know, you come up to the alley and you're going down. That would go down behind the bonnet gas station. It's like at an angle. Mm-hmm. There's the there's a fence there, and there must have been thirty kids on bikes going to witness this initiation. <laughs> well, Jeff Rigsby and I went in to witness in the bathroom with Aaron Schmidt, and and what the initiation was is he had to put a quarter in the condom machine. What, so there are a quarter back then. <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> And blow this condom up until it busted. Oh, my God. That is gross. It is great. So he's, so he's blowing it's, on this thing. It's great. And I'm not, this thing's bigger than us. It's this big. And we're, we're laughing, but we're nervous. And all of a sudden, we hear the gas attendant. It's like, what are you kids doing in there? For effect. <laughs> God speaking now. Not happy. He didn't bust it. He had to let the air out of it. So it's like, you know when you when you let the air out of a balloon, it's... Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to let the air out quietly. It's not happening. So he lets all the air out, throws it away, and we get out of there and we all take off for Dingle's house and get back and tell a story and we're laughing, smoking cigarettes and looking at Playboys. <laughs> And uh, Did he you didn't, let him in. He, we didn't let him. Good. In. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't pass in the chase. He didn't. Matter of fact, he. Uh, we were playing football up at Notre Dame High School on the terraces the mm-hmm. next the next Saturday, and he and Jason Eastep got in a fist fight, and he beat up Jason Eastep. And Eastep wasn't. He was a good athlete, but he wasn't a very tough guy. And of course, I was, just, <laughs> as you, you found out from 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 our mentors episode. So I blacked both of Aaron Schmidt's eyes. Okay. Back me up here, yeah. Jeff. These are, these are true stories, buddy. That is true awesome. stories. So, I cannot. what's the name of the president from Sons of Anarchy? The, uh, um, uh, oh, not the not Jax, but like the OG Clay. Clay, it's Clay. Yeah. <laughs> Clay Morrow. Yeah, Clay Glockner over here. Yeah. <laughs> so, I say all that. What, what's the point of the story? I'm not entirely <laughs> sure, to be honest. But I was talking to my, I was telling my daughter this this morning, so there'd be no surprises when she listens to the episode. But um, you know, growing up today, that would all be on social media mm-hmm. and be on Snapchat. Oh. Everyone would know everything. Some kids talk to their parents. Everyone would know and whatever, and it's reputation's a fickle thing. So mm. I, I do think it's our greatest asset. Um, 
it's tough. It's tough enough to protect. It's way tougher nowadays to protect mm-hmm. because, because of social media. You've got to have an online reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I since you brought up condoms <laughs> and being in the fifth grade, I too have a fifth grade condom story. Oh gosh, this is completely like <laughs> this off the is, subject. This is off the subject, but it, it will tie back into uh, to what we're talking about. So. My buddy John Sinclair and I, his dad would always take us to high school football games, or high school basketball games, football games. So we'd travel all over on Friday nights, go watch the Trojans play. So we came back, so we'd always stop at a gas station, convenience store somewhere. So I had a handful of quarters and a walk back in there. This is the fifth grade. I'm like, this is the first time I had seen condoms being sold in a, in a restroom. So of course I have to spit <laughs> every quarter you got. Every quarter I'm going is getting the easy riders right out, of, right out of the machine. Okay, so I didn't. I wasn't very. I wasn't too sure on what the condom was used for. I knew it had something to do with sex, and I knew none of my buddies had had one ever before. So I was literally the first to market with condoms. <laughs> In your group of so, friends, so I have like a backpack full of condoms that I bring to Roosevelt. So the, the condoms aren't going to do me any good unless I show people I have these condoms. <laughs> so we're all in the bathroom, and I'm like, hey, check it out, guys. I've got condoms. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, like, what is it? Like, what do they do? What do you but do I, with I, it? I you blow them up. I got a- <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. So I'm like, showing these people I got condoms, and, you know, and like the word's getting out, oh, Taylor's got like, condoms. <laughs> no one knows what the hell they're for, but they know. You're like in a, fifth grade. Yeah, like. they're a taboo thing. Well, somebody dimed me out. Oh. So I'm in. I'm in the class, and I see. <laughs> I see the principal come up, and she's. She's like Dale. Can I see you outside? And Mrs. Perry. Miss Perry is probably like five foot eight, which is pretty tall. But at the time, she appeared to be seven foot nine, <laughs> and she's just looming over me. And she goes, "So, what's in your bag?" And I'm like, ah, "Pencils." <laughs> she's like, "Did you bring condoms to school today?" And I'm like, "I just immediately like melt." Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know what they I, do I didn't mean to. I don't know. And, and I'm like, I, "Am I in trouble?" I thought it was for a candy machine. <laughs> Am I in trouble for this? Because I, I don't know what the statute of regulations say upon kids bringing condoms to school. So I was like, yeah, I did. And she's like, okay, I'll take care of this. And then just left. And I was like, okay, well, my mom worked in the school system. So I'm like, all right. So I'm thinking I'm scot-free. Well, I lived like a mile from the school and I'm walking home and I always wanted mom to pick me up from school so I didn't have to walk because we lived up on top of a hill yeah yeah big hill <clears throat> so I'll never forget I'm walking home and I knew I just sensed trouble and I see my mom pull up behind me and I look over my shoulder and I'm like speeding up my walk so, <laughs> <laughs> so she won't like she's like oh hey just wanted to pick you up I'm like I'm good. I'm going to walk. She's like, no, no, get in the car. And I'm just kind of sitting there. She's like, oh, how was school today? Oh, it's pretty good, you know. She's like, so you brought condoms to school today? (laughs) And I'm like, so my mom. Evidently, your your grandfather didn't have that talk. No, no, no. (laughs) So if, if you know my mom, my mom's like five foot tall, but if my mom is mad at me, it's like she can just shoot bolts of oh, lightning. Yeah. Like, just she can go right to the heart of it. So she's just ripping me the whole time. And I, I was embarrassed because I didn't know what the kind I knew it had to do something with sex. I knew I screwed up, and it was a big embarrassment, basically. Now, like, I've made now, Miss Perry calls my mom, <laughs> your son, Brian. And I, I can only imagine what the actual real conversation was. Right. Like, Carolyn, you're not gonna believe this. Yeah. <laughs> so, your bonehead son has got a backpack full of pilfering condoms in the in the men's uh, in the boys' restroom. So, my mom is just probably just furious. So, the next day is a snow day, all right? So, I'm like, yes, snow day. I just wanted to sleep in. Hmm. So, Talk about like not embarrassing your mom and the the influence your mom has on you. 
my mom makes me get up, and she still has this today. She makes me get up, like, when a snow day happens, like, it's, like, magical. Like, yeah. you're just going to go play, and da-da-da-da. She makes me get up and write a handwritten apology letter to the principal. Hmm. Not only she makes me write it, she takes me to school <laughs> on the snow day, makes me write it, and then go to the principal's office and read it to the principal. That's a good nice. mom. Like yeah. that's how that's humiliating, though. Like, yeah. and, and I've actually that lesson. I mean, besides the humorous <laughs> fact of the condom story, but the lesson of like. Screwing up and owning it, and then owning it, and then like to the point to where writing it out and like imagine how I'm, I'm a ten year old kid bought brought a bag of condoms to school, and now I have to like say the word condom, yeah, and, <laughs> to my write principal. it and then read it, and you're reading the letter, you're like, and I brought the, and I'm sorry, <laughs> just put your head down, and my mom, and ha- my mom has that letter somewhere. To this day, and like she'll, she always brings up that, <laughs> that story. But that is like time. I had to had to interject there because I've got a little handwritten note story too at the end. Of the but um, yeah, so we we're just talking about leveraging reputation, and uh, and so I was going to tell how we went about acquiring the last two stores we, that we did, and how reputation really helped foster that. Um, so we had we had bought the. I told a story about how we tried to buy this the little Ford store and it didn't work out. And then a year later, we got the one that we ended up with, and that was all great. And so we'd had that for about 18 months. That was 2013 and 14, and things were going well. And I had my chest puffed out and thought, if I can do, if we can do it that time, maybe we can do it one more time. So had my eye on the uh, Jeep Dodge store and and our marketing area, and. And made the mistake of telling our CFO Jim Donnelly, and <laughs> <laughs> he dropped everything he was doing and called the guy that uh, owns and runs it and invited him to play golf. And they golfed, and on the way out to the parking lot, he he asked him if he were, he was for sale, and he he wasn't. But he said something that was kind of interesting. He said, uh, "I'm not for sale. I'm the majority owner, and we're not for sale." And Jim didn't think anything about that. And when he came back and I asked him what was what was up? What happened? He said we actually didn't talk. We had a great time golf. Didn't talk anything about business until we got in the parking lot. And that was the only thing he said. I'm the majority owner. I'm not for sale. If I'm ever for sale, you know, I might. I'll give you a shout. <clears throat> I was like, well, why would he say I'm the majority owner? Wouldn't that just be He's something is, you would right. assume? He's letting something out. So <clears throat> I started talking to people and found out that he was he was not the majority owner. Um, but in between then and now, he we we were going through a remodel at our Chevy store in Portsmouth, and our closest Chevy competitor had already done the remodel. And we knew this guy; we competed with him, not fiercely. Like uh, the guy had a lot of the same values. He was a Catholic guy and good to his community and whatever. But uh, he had already done the remodel and. I knew Mike and Dad were in the Chevy world, and I was like, why don't you call Bob Kleiss up and ask him if we can stop by and look at his store. I just want to get a vision for what this thing is going to look like when ours is done. And uh, so they did, and we stopped by. Me, Mike, and Dad, I think, stopped. Were you there, Joe? No, I didn't. I think it was yeah, three of us, and we stopped by and looked around, and and uh, I was really impressed. And that was that was it. That's all we were doing. I, I knew we were looking to acquire stores, and we're trying to guess what people's succession plans were. So if they had a son or daughter that was in the business, you would just assume that they were going to take mm-hmm. over the store. Well, he, he had a son in the business. So we didn't think he'd, we weren't going to approach him. We just assumed. So anyway, <clears throat> over the next couple months, we're trying to gather information about this Chrysler Dodge store. I've got my eyes on and, and who, who is the majority owner. And, uh, and I'd see Bob Kleiss's billboards going to, my Ford store every day, and I was just so impressed with my text him because I'm going 70 miles an hour and tell him <laughs> voice over text. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just checking in, how's the month going, blah blah blah. And then he texts me back one day and he's like, "Hey, can me and my wife come up and visit your Ford store and your see your remodel?" And I was like, "Well, sure." And they came up and 
we talked for like an hour about Catholic education and all this stuff. And on the way out to the parking lot at our Ford store, he said, would you be interested in buying our store? Which is just like totally right out of the blue. And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, I'm not going to say anything else until you sign a non-disclosure statement, which I had made that mistake before. <laughs> right. I was like, noted. <laughs> so... So he sends it to me, and or we we send him one. We had one on the shelf from the last time. <laughs> frame as so, a reminder. Yeah. So we send it to him, and he like goes all through it and changes stuff. I was like, wow, he's like super super serious about being secret about this, and so he's like, I don't want you to tell anybody. Period until we know that we're going to do this deal. And I was like, well, I've got to have at least my CFO. He's the numbers guy. Yeah, he's the, right. He's uh, he's the guy that's going to tell me if the numbers work out. So he's like, all right. So he writes in the two of us are the only ones that can know. So I'd keep it from Mike and Joe and dad. And it went on for months. And I felt like I was cheating on my brothers and my dad, you know, like keeping that kind of information secret. And, uh, so anyway, the reason he, I had through this whole thing, I asked him why and why he approached us. And it was because of, my grandfather's reputation and a relationship my grandfather had with his dad that I didn't know of. So mm. reputation, relationship just paid off again. And they watched us buy this Ford store and kept all the employees. And he he cared deeply for his employees. Mm-hmm. And his dad had run the store for 50 years. And they knew it was time to get out. They could see that you were either going to get bigger and people were acquiring stores like us and be like a a regional group or like a power group these guys have like a couple hundred stores and if you're not going to do one of those two things you're probably going to get squeezed out he knew it was time to go and he wanted to pick someone he he could trust to take care of his people and and his good work over the last 50 years and so i didn't i didn't build that reputation you know joe and i are just lucky recipients of what the generations before us have created so because of those relationships and our reputation for taking care of employees, he he picked us. It was, it's a great store. I'm glad we ended up with it. And that's, that's, awesome. a, that's a lesson there. So, the Thank Dodge you. store. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so that was the Clyde store. Then this last story, uh, or the last store that we bought, um, we finally found out who the majority owner was and it was this guy that's like he's 80 years old he's from Huntington West Virginia and I don't suppose I should say names but he like this guy is he's a big whale like he's got a ton of businesses he made a ton of money in banking he's the biggest donor at Marshall University and it's just he he ended up with this dealership and uh, I think it was in default one time with one of his banks, and so he ends up with it. It was profitable, so he kept it and ran it. Hired this guy that Jim Donnelly golfed with, and uh, to run it because he, he's not a car guy. So I'm laying in bed. So there I was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laying in bed one Wednesday morning. I had just had a vasectomy. Since we're telling condom stories here. <laughs> Um, disclosure. <laughs> it's a Wednesday morning. The doctor says, "If you will just chill out for two days, you'll recover. You'll recover in two days. If you get out of bed and you're active, you're, it's going to be two yeah. weeks, right?" <laughs> so I'm like laying in bed on this Wednesday morning, and I'm, I just want to do something productive. So I'm texting, trying to do as much work from my phone as I can, and I text a friend that I knew knew this this guy from Huntington, West Virginia. It was the majority in this Dodge Jeep store. And I was like, can you get me in front of him? I, I heard he's like really tough to get a hold of. He flies all over the country. He's got businesses all over the country. And he's like, yeah, I, it took me two years to do a CVS deal with him one time. And he's like, I'll call him. I haven't talked to him for a couple of years. And I was like, I appreciate it. So he calls me back like 10 minutes later. He's like, he says, if you can get there before noon today, he'll see you. <laughs> I was like, oh, here we go. So, like, did you tell him who I was? He's like, no, I just told him someone's interested in buying one of his businesses, and that's it. Yeah. I was like, great. So I called Jim Donnelly. I was like, hey, what are you doing? Can you go meet 
with this guy in Huntington like in the next couple hours and he's like Tim I'm boarding a plane right now he's like you know that I'll back off and right, my right, wife right. will be mad at me for a week but I'll do it if you want me to I was like no just <laughs> go fly wherever you're going and I was like I'll figure it out so I sat there and thought for 10 or 15 minutes I was like this is it's go time. Like you either do take the bag of ice off the balls. <laughs> let's roll. So actually, I didn't. Speaking, of I put. I get up. I'm putting my suit on, and Monica comes in the closet. And she's like, "What are you doing?" I tell her, and she's like, "You're an idiot." And I can't believe you're gonna go do that. And I was like, "I, I think this is our only shot." So I put a bag of frozen peas down my pants, <laughs> and my buddy comes and gets me, and drives me to Huntington, and I'm waiting in this lobby, and I couldn't have been more intimidated. I'm like, this guy. It's like he's legit. Like he, right. <laughs> some people are saying he's worth a billion. He might be worth five hundred million or three. He's a right. multi multi millionaire. Yeah. And here you and are I'm, with frozen peas. On peas your balls. on yeah. <laughs> and they're like sweating. Like they're and it's like oh, I'm like, sir, don't mind the ball. <laughs> I have a legitimate <laughs> excuse. So I, so we wait out there for like forty five minutes, and he finally calls us back, and I go in, and this guy's office looks like it's a complete train wreck like you can't find a place to sit down or anything it looks way worse than jim donnelly's but i walk in and it's it's uh he's sitting there in a three-piece suit he's spitting chewing the back in a in a paper cup and he doesn't really make eye contact but puts his hands out no computer no self i can tell he's not i mean he's 80 years old and i was like um mr such and such sir tim glock sir (laughs) thank you um (laughs) Tim Glockner from Portsmouth, Ohio. I'm like shaking. He goes, he looks at me and he goes, Abby Glockner. And I, I was like, yeah, that's my grandfather. And then he went on for like an hour Aww. telling this story about my grandfather. I knew, I just knew at that minute, I, I've got a chance here. we got mm-hmm. something in common. <clears throat> so I'll tell you a story real quick about the story about Ed, my grandfather. And he he's trying to get... This guy was has a printing business, a large printing business, and he was trying to get a contract with Detroit Steel when they were mm-hmm. in New Boston. So he can't get his foot in the door, but he knew of my grandfather, and he knew that he was influential. <clears throat> and so he goes out and calls on him, trying to get his business, and then hoping to make a relationship with him and hoping to get his foot in with Detroit Steel. So calls on my grandfather, and he's like, how can I get in Detroit Steel? And he said, you, do you have a Catholic salesperson? And the guy was like, yes. And he said, I didn't. He said, I didn't have a Catholic salesperson, <laughs> but I had a 19-year-old kid that worked on my printing press that was Catholic. That was what he was thinking. So he brought him back the next day to introduce him to my grandfather. Well, the purchasing agent for Detroit Steel and my grandfather went to church to, to mass together. So he marries them up. He gets the contract. And the rest is history. I guess it was like a two million dollar contract back in the eighties, and that was like a huge deal. So, because of that relationship and my grandfather's reputation, he he got something he wanted, mm-hmm. and then years later it pays off for us. And I'm I'm convinced he was not for sale. It wasn't he wasn't he wasn't running this business right. day to day. It was no headache. It was making yeah. money, but because of that and. The next day, I knew that he, I could see he didn't have a computer on his desk, so I assumed he didn't email. Uh-huh. So I wrote him a handwritten letter, and he didn't, he didn't realize that our grandfather had passed, so I sent him the obituary and a handwritten thank you note. And one of the guys that works for, for this guy called me the next day, and he's like, I went to, to lunch with this guy. He's like really impressed that you wrote him the letter. He read it like two or three times and read the obituary. And he owns he owns a big newspaper too, so it was the obituary was on one side, and so he's reading the other side and all the advertisements and all that kind of stuff. And anyway, long story short, we those relationships and those reputation passed down over generations of. And that's why that's why I I still say that a established business is a lot easier to run than a startup. Well. I mean, they, they all have their challenges, obviously. Sure, but but grass is always greener. Yeah, but when you've got an established business and you've got all this reputation capital built up, and then someone blasts you on Facebook, you can sustain that. You can you can get past it because you've got six thousand other positive reviews or whatever. And well, it, it's, it, you bring up that topic, and one of the rare times I've paying attention in church. 
Scott Rollins was talking about having that church for the last 30 years or whatever, you can just imagine that as any as any organization grows, you become a target for people from the outside to just hate on you or say just say things that are flat out untrue um, or you know say things that can be perceived different from what you're trying to really accomplish. Uh, in this case, he was talking about the the growth of his church, and um, they acquired a bunch of land to put the new church on. The new church being however long, yeah, two, 20 years ago yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah. that was. Um, and so the word around town was that Scott was trying to acquire all this land and put his own stuff on it and not didn't have anything really to do with church and this, that, and the other. And um, there was a lot of debate at the time on whether he should make a public statement or you know basically react to what was going on. Mm-hmm. And what he said that really always struck to me is like, you build an organization, it doesn't matter, church, business, team, whatever, through your reputation, and since we're talking about it, he goes, that, your word, your reputation, what you're trying to do, needs to be so wire tight that when people start saying dumb stuff, mm-hmm. untrue stuff about it, the people in your organization or know you will take up for you mm-hmm. and it will take care of it right then and there. So you never really have to respond to the the constant stream of negativity and, and just rumor mill that's going on. If your reputation is so solid, people will take up for you because they know you and what you're trying to trying to do. I think um, that kind of goes back to last week with Tim when we had Tim Wolf on the podcast and he was talking about the different truths. You know, you like there's the your truth mm-hmm. and then everybody else's truth. And like you said, if you just are transparent with your your group or your people, then you don't need to worry about the other truth because they they know it and they'll stick up for you. And yeah, and pe- people like through what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish, people will take up for you. Mm-hmm. And um, we have conversations all the time. Like the more you put yourself out on Facebook, whether your personal self or your business self mm-hmm. or whatever, you're opening yourself up to. You know, we live in the age of trolls, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people will automatically, their policy is to delete negative comments, negative responses from their Facebook pages. And by doing that, you're giving, in my opinion, you're giving more ammunition to the people saying bad stuff about you than making a public response to them. And if you screw up, like, you know, we, we screw up sh- shipping, we screw that up all the time. We screw up putting the wrong thing in the wrong people's order. It's just, uh, you know, if you have a 2% error rate, yeah. you know, I have a, of 100 orders, two of them are going to get screwed up. That's right. just a part of doing business. Um, but it's your response to making that wrong right is what's going to live. Mm-hmm. So, like, don't, when somebody says, oh, I, you guys are so stupid, you screwed up a wrong thing, da 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 da, da. like, Roger, got it. We got, we're going to refund you a full order and we got new stuff coming out the way. Sorry for the inconvenience. That's your policy. And people will see that, and that's how you build, whether a uh, new business or existing business, that's how you build your reputation. And it only takes, like, you know, there's that the famous quote, um, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to lose it. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's kind of the, the bad part about it. Um, but I just read off a few quotes here going along the same lines. You know, if you do break your reputation... A reputation once broken may possibly be repaired, but the world will always keep their eyes on the spot where the crack was. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, and this is a George Washington quote: "Associate with men of good quality, if you esteem your own reputation. For it is better to be alone than in bad company." Um, that's, so that's just a few uh, a few lines, but um, it's it's crazy, like. Say people will ask, like, well, how do you build a reputation? Or basically, you do what you're going to say, and you say what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Like you, like one, if you sh- go back on your word once, that's all anybody will ever remember. And it's not about being perfect. It's not about um, never making a mistake. It's owning that mistakes and just mm-hmm. simply going above and beyond. For the customer, 
Yeah, we we talked about that um, once again in the in the Devo Two podcast, and he brought up the three H's: um, honesty, humility, and hustle. And how those are that's like the, the trifecta of building your reputation in the business world. And that's like that's in my opinion, Jim Jim Donnelly actually reached out about that. He that was a key point that stuck with him. Um, that I feel like that's what you should strive for. Honest with your consumer, your customers, um, still have that be humble and then hustle, be better than the rest. It comes it comes down to what is the mission of your company. You know, if the if the mission is to run just make a make a bunch of money all you can, you're done. Mm-hmm. Because that that's that will show through more than anything. Right. So at the at the mission of your company or the vision or, or whatever you want to do, like you have to be able to do good in there somehow, some way, um, through your own unique perspective. You want to be able to do good. When we went to go buy the building where the gym is now, um, I had no clue about permits, no clue about certificate of occupancies, no clue about working with the city, none of that stuff. Um, and so when I finally, like, somebody took me by the hand and said, this is what you got to do. Like, I went to the city. And they're like, oh, you're wanting to buy that? And you're, like, you're from the, the kettlebell place. I'm like, yeah, that's us. And I'm, like, waiting to expect, like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, here we go. They're like, you guys do so much good. Like, let me help you with this. Oh, yeah. And that's just because of, of the reputation of the members and all the good stuff the members were mm-hmm. doing. Um, but if, you, if you're trying to do good and don't worry about – the bottom line. I mean, you have to worry about running a, a profitable company, but if your mission is to do good first, mm-hmm. that'll build your reputation. Right. Um, and people will see that whether they're a part of your organization or not. And people, people want, people are drawn to things that are, that are positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more positive things you can do for others, the more impact you're going to have. And I guarantee you the more profitable your company will be. So you have to come at it from, I'm going to do as much good as I can, and then the money's going to ha- come from that. But it can't be, I'm going to make as much money as I can and then do as much good from that. Mm-hmm. It has to be good first, and then the money the money will come. Right. So if I'm listening to this podcast, I'm a, a small business, especially if I'm a startup, and maybe I'm doing some good things, but no one knows about it. And how, how do you get that reputation started? So that's that's a solid question because yeah, a, lot, a lot of people feel as if they're humble bragging if they post stuff that they're doing, mm-hmm. um, and it's just one of those things. It's a it's a very delicate line of um, how much is too much or how much is not enough um, because if you know at the end of the day, like if no one knows what you're doing, they can't get involved. You might as well not be doing anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Here's a here's a here's a good story that like you know the short answer is don't give a shit what people think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if your intention is good, that's all that matters. Right. If your intention is I'm gonna do I this wanna so sh- I get a hundred yes, yeah. then you're a piece of shit. Yeah. Um here's here's a very early on in business, okay? We weren't even making anything other than keeping the lights on. Um but you know, every once a month, once a quarter, whatever, when something's going on, we try to do a fundraiser, an awareness benefit or something. Um, so we were doing a, we would take a, a, a bunch of kids who had signed up for the Marines mm-hmm. and were going to go into Marine boot camp. They're called police. Um, and we just run them through some training, like kind of get them ready. Like we did it for free, no big deal. And it was, it Hell, I got more benefit out of it than than anybody else because it made me feel really like really good to mm-hmm. be given back. So we do that a couple times, and then a guy that I kind of knew, um, he posted this this huge long thing about basically like how we were just so terrible for using our gym for helping Marines and like like wow. I was getting bashed by this guy. Mm-hmm. For using my gym, like all he cares about is making himself look good, like as a platform, as to a like, pla- like yeah, just all this crazy stuff. And like I was like, I'm at the time I was like, 
furious. Yeah. I was furious and I was hurt. I was like, I didn't even, like, what in the hell? Like, would you even, how would you even, like, put these two pieces together? But I'm glad it happened because we were doing a fundraiser. That's what it was. We were doing a fundraiser, okay? Yeah. Well, what's the number one way to do a fundraiser? You have to let people know you're raising funds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't raise funds without letting people know. <laughs> we got a great idea, but we're not going to tell right. anyone about it. Like, we're raising funds for, ch- I can't remember what it was for, but we were, we were, we were, Using the gym, probably gonna do like a special workout, mm-hmm. raise as much money for this for this event as possible. Well, guess what? You have to get the word out right. to do that. And like this guy was slamming me yeah. uh, for that. And I'm like, if I'm getting slammed for trying to raise funds to help somebody, or like I'm glad it happened because that taught me right then and there that no matter what, people are gonna say shit. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It what doesn't you matter do. what you're trying to do, people. And, and the thing is, like, the dude was jealous mm-hmm. uh, because he was trying to do something similar in another town. Yeah. And that's and, – and I really – at that point in time, like, I really didn't think anybody – like, jealousy was like a – there was nothing to be jealous about. Right. Um, but he saw our perceived success, and he didn't like it, so he used that as an opportunity to, to lash out. And I'm glad it happened at such an early phase over something so ridiculous. Right. Uh, because that conditioned me for things that would that would come. Right. Um, and a couple months later, this is like the, the the cherry on the cake. Derek and I. Derek's my my good friend who lost his leg in Afghanistan. We're the co-founders of of a nonprofit um, team, SAR together. And I was coaching him through his first competition, and we posted his vid- his workout video online, and like. You would not believe the amount of negative <laughs> like people wow. made, like, oh, dude that knows what he's doing. He's going to blow his back out. He's, uh, you know, just like, and I'm like, okay, if, if people will say negative shit about him missing a leg and, yeah. like, crushing workouts, then. There's no win. There's, you, you like, you are either going to have to make an early decision that you can't let it, you can't, you cannot let it bug you. Yeah. Easier said than done. Right. Um. But you can't you can't let it bug you. But going back to your original original question is do what is authentic. Mm-hmm. Don't do what a PR person will tell you to do, or don't do what everyone's guided by their own internal principles. And when you when you like, should I post it? If you have a question on, oh, I don't know if I should post this. Don't post it because yeah. something is telling you like that's not. Right. Or that's good. not. That's not right. If like, post. Of course, we're we're talking about posting to social media, but people need to see good things happening. Mm-hmm. People want to see good things happening, and if you're doing that, like, it's not a matter of, hey, buy a bunch of cars from me. This is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That comes off rightfully, you know, not the right way. Right. Um, just post what you're proud of. Post what you're what you're um, incredibly proud that your company is able to do in the community, and there's nothing salesy about it. Right. I mean, that's my like quick quick advice. Yeah. See, I'm like the I'm the type of person who I do get my feelings hurt. Mm. Really? Yeah. And I'm like also like oh, I don't think I should post this. Like nobody cares. Like just back off. You know. But you also have to remember that, or at least the people that troll on my pages, a lot of people who appreciate what you're doing, they're not going to be the people. Mm-hmm. It's all, it's 99% of the time you get on there and you find it's just people who have negative things to say, which is why I really don't post. Like, it's like a vicious cycle, you know? But like you said, if you believe in it and you want to be authentic and show what you're doing, then you just have to get over that yeah you have to get over it this is bottom line if like you're not willing to put yourself out there then no one's going to see you no one's going to see you no one's going to know what you're doing and no one's going to give a shit about you yeah and then therefore you're allowing the negative people to rule your life exactly it's trust me it's seven like it's we're seven years in business today yeah seven years in business today and it's awesome and it's uh you know if you're in columbus or cincinnati or cleveland no one gives a shit yeah Mm -hmm. but you're in portsmouth People like it's a small town. Seven years. The 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 rumor mill, the 
that stuff can get way out of control more so than being in a, in a, in a big town. But in the day, like, if you don't post anything or if you if – you, hell, it's not even about posting. It's about doing. Yeah, do it. If you're concerned about what neg- what people are going to say mm-hmm. or what you're doing, you probably shouldn't be in business. Yeah. Because you're, like – your intentions have to be squared away. What you're trying to do with your company has to be squared away. And it has to come from a place of what you're trying, the intention of what you're trying to do in this world and mm-hmm. trying to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but So we're talking about leveraging social media and being authentic and telling your story and, and people can become aware of you and you can build on your reputation by what you're doing. But what I think is is at least equally as important is when people give you ratings and reviews because mm-hmm. that's a part of your online reputation. So if, so I would suggest that the first thing you do, so you do these things that Dale's talking about, Sadie's talking about, but also if you do a good enough job, people will leave you a great review. Mm-hmm. And i give you an example. I, I wanted to send flowers. I've done this a, a few times in the last few months. I want to send flowers to a friend that's opening up a new business out of town. So I Google florist in Washington Courthouse, Ohio, and up comes three florists, and what do you look at? And look this, and like, none of them have more than a three-star review, none of them have more than like one or two reviews, so it's like, how do you, Mm -hmm. and I just want to call one of them and just say, dude, if you would just collect five five five-star reviews, you'll show up the top every Mm -hmm. time and you'll get all the out-of-town business. Mm -hmm. Um, What's the same, it's the same thing when I'm out of town. Like, hey, where are we going to eat today? Google Maps, search restaurants. Yep. Top rated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he's pulling up the, the Google He's basically doing exactly what we just said. Yeah. So reviews are, that's your online reputation. Ever. That couldn't be more important. Ever since the Doc Spartan reviews started rolling in. Remember that night when we we respond we we sat there and like thought of a response to everyone. I leave reviews regularly now, especially if I like the product. Yeah, I'm not a troll. Like I, right. I just keep those opinions to myself. But if I love it, I'm like, hey, I want to. You have to get on there and mm-hmm. say something because that's what people mm-hmm. go online and find. Uh, and, and as a regardless of what you're selling, you need to have a mechanism on your e-commerce website. Or your website, whatever you're utilizing to, to leave reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as far as a tactical application, we just started a program um, through an automate. You can there's all kinds of apps for this depending on how how you run your site. But um, we have an automated email program. So when you buy from us, 14 days later, you're going to get an email saying, "Hey, tell us what you think." Yeah. And we literally and because and we direct the consumer to, "Hey, you can email us back." Um, or you can go to the product on the site and leave a five-star review. Yeah. And you're only going to do that as a company if you believe in your product. Because when you do that, you're... You're opening a door. <laughs> you're, you're opening a door. And, but the thing is, you, you can't be afraid of what the customer thinks and, and um, ways to improve. So we just literally started this and some lady replies back sends us sends us eat sends us pictures hey y'all i just like to know i just like you guys to know how badass your product is i had a wrist surgery at the end of the july i started using doc spartan on the incision site on 18 august shortly after i had this sutures removed i took fo- photos the day i started using the product and i just took photos today and you can see already see a difference in a little over a week i've been using it a couple times a day every day i would also say that the ointment is the ointment is great in that it isn't crazy oily, allows me to use it during PT. Can't wait to see long-term results and use it on future tattoos. I'll attach photos. Thank you so much. Um, so figure out a way to enable, to incentivize a customer to write a review. And when they come, when it comes back negative, don't take it personally. I'm talking to myself right now, but yeah. um, don't take it personally. Like Figure out a way to improve it mm-hmm. um, because it, social proof is a huge driver um, that enables customers to buy from you. Without social proof, no one feels as if when they start reading those Amazon reviews, no one buys from a three-star, flat-out three-star. Mm-hmm. Um, it's four or five stars above 
but you have to be willing to enable the customer to do that, to leave reviews. In the car business for decades, <clears throat> it was commonplace to, for salespeople to ask for referrals. And then we'd pay them a bird dog fee if they sent someone. I always thought it kind of cheap on the relationship, honestly. Mm-hmm. But today's referral system is basically just reviews online. And it's a whole lot easier to say after someone buys a car from you, they're excited. They obviously like and trust and believe in you. They wouldn't just spend 30 grand and, mm-hmm. or 10 grand or whatever it was the car cost. And, but they're happy. They're getting ready to drive away. And you ask them, hey, if you're happy with your experience, my grade card is a review online. Would you care to do that? Which no one cares you know, to do that, especially if you make it easy enough. If we, we're using Facebook mostly. Um, Google reviews obviously index the best because it's Google, right? right? It's, you have to have a Gmail account uh, to leave a Google review, I believe. Um, but when someone leaves a Facebook review, then all their friends see it, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's the strongest. So then we, we incentivize our salespeople if they collect... I think they have to, as just part of their job, collect 40% of their customers for the month have to leave a, a review. And then if, if they get a bad review, they get they get dinged. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's just our checks and balances system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so on a new car, manufacturer's going to check up with that customer, make sure that they were treated well. But with the used car, there's, there's no checks and balance. We're not going to know if the customer wasn't treated right unless they tell us. Right. And so this is a way that they can do that. Um, by doing that, you're powering the customer. And you have to run a customer-first business. Because mm-hmm. if you, like, for you guys, it'd be easy. Hey, we got your 30K, homie. See you next time. And then you don't really care after that. But that shows, you know, it shows by, by enabling reviews and incentivizing reviews and making that a big part of your business is it it shows a that you stand behind your product because you wouldn't want people to review if you if you didn't believe in your product and it stands behind the people uh selling that product as well that another thing i would add you know this doesn't really have anything to do with reviews but um think when the last time you got something free from a company not a part of hey buy one get one free or um it was some promotion like, when's the last time you bought something from a company online or wherever that they just included something for free in the bag? I can't remember. Right. I don't think it's ever happened to me. But if it did happen to you... You'd remember. You'd remember. Right. So what we started doing was we're very blessed in the fact that we have loyal customers um, who are repeat customers. So this is, I, if, this is what I advise you guys to... Every, keep track of repeat customers. Okay, mm-hmm. with we our website through Shopify, it it will every, every time we get an order, we get notified, and it'll tell us, hey, third order, fourth order, fifth order. That's handy. every time. So we just started a thing to where in multiples of five, the now the the policy, for lack of a better term, is pick something off the rack, include it in the guy's bag, and, and just tell him, hey. Thanks Here's something for free because you guys, you're the ones that are enabling our success. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, just write a little handwritten note because I buy a lot of shit online myself. <laughs> um, and when you, there's a difference between if you're engaging with a organ, like a faceless, nameless company, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, or if you think somebody is on the other side that's actually paying attention to you. Right. Um, so keep reviews, keep track of your of your best and loyal customers and take care of them right that's a good point and if you want to build a reputation you want a reputation built as a company who takes care of their customers Um. thank you (laughs) so before uh we we finish up here um i want to ask you guys what you believe your greatest asset is because we all you all come from different companies oh shit and Joe, mm-hmm. I want to hear. Okay. I want your input too. Quiet, Jambox Joe over there. All right. And you can't say thank you. Our great, I'm trying like not our to. greatest attribute or like our greatest asset. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is is our people, our employees. Especially, we've got we've been blessed to have people 
like Tony Crick and Gus Hoffman, all these guys have been there longer than I've been alive, yeah. you know? <clears throat> and they're directly um, responsible for the reputation of the company. And again, it's why an established business is so much easier to run than a startup. And that's the goal is to get to where you've got these kind of people that are all rowing the same direction. And uh, you, you don't have, it's not all on your shoulders, you know, you mm-hmm. share that, you share that responsibility and the risk and, and the reward with um, all the people you work with. So I would think that our employees are our greatest asset. For sure. That's tether. It's mm-hmm. the, I, know, I know you, you've done the best job at creating the atmosphere, the, the ability to create your own business within our business and I'm pretty sure that it's been available but not everybody takes advantage of it so some people that are whether they're an employee with uh, no supervision or management or a manager it's up to them to take it upon themselves to to be the man or the woman in charge Mm -hmm. and and delegate which Tim has always been the best delegator that I know Mom says it like I'm lazy. I don't no, know. it's like it's smart. Like I he's way smarter, way more intelligent than people that think mm-hmm. that they have to. They can do have a handle on something mm-hmm. you don't. So, yeah, our people are definitely our biggest asset because if you give them the ability to feel like they've done something not only for themselves but for you, that pride and accomplishment is unbelievably like you. You can't you can't buy that. Mm-hmm. And you can't you can't give that at all. So, um, like Tim said, but we've also got long we've got long tenure with our with our management and employees, which makes that even easier. And that's also proof that we we try to practice what we preach in that respect. So, you you come to work and you're you are the boss. If you're the manager, mm-hmm. you're, you get to make the decision if, if there's something beyond your control we're here to help you with that but i mean you're running your business within our business and i'm pretty sure that that is the difference between um generations in the past and the the, especially the last two generations on our ability to grow and to be profitable because there was it wasn't a complete control which in the past i think people loved to control it was it felt Mm -hmm. good to be in control, but now we've realized that that's not the best approach. So, mm-hmm. good point, Jeff. I'd piggyback on that one thing: is um, if you if you let your employees take ownership like that and be a part of something, and you you're slow if you're slow to hire and hire the right people and help develop them over time, and everyone's successful, then you get a reputation for having tenured employees, and then that's why we get. It's not hard for us to recruit, especially key people, because we've got a line of people who want to come work for us because they know that we're going to take care of them mm-hmm. for a long, long time. They can make a career here and retire. So we're going through it right now. Actually, we've got four very long tenured employees, key management roles that are all going to retire within the next year. Yeah. And we've got our succession plan in place, and we think we've got all the right people. But it's going to be over the next year that we'll find out if we did mm-hmm. do that properly. But I, but they've all taken ownership before they've even some of them haven't been technically hired yet. Mm-hmm. But they know that they're they're the next in line. Um, and so these tenured employees helped us find exactly yeah, they have their replacements because they care mm-hmm. and they want yeah. yeah they want us to continue their good work. Okay. So Dale, you're coming from three different businesses: the gym. Doc Spartan, and now third in court. Um, what would you say would be your greatest asset to your company in this in your survival? I would say intensity. So, if you start your own thing, what in the it always goes back to the gym because that's where it all started from. But intensity, meaning there is nothing when it comes to work. I don't think about anything else. I don't, can't remember the last time I've gone to a movie. I can't even watch movies at home without being constantly consumed and obsessed with want, like trying to build the business and, and take care of the customer. Mm-hmm. Like when it came came time to opening the gym, and it, intensity relates to caring. Mm-hmm. 
because I want I want the people who are taking care of my family to know that we will take care of them. Mm-hmm. And that's every that's every member. That's everybody who buys a nine ninety nine ointment. Because we our hands are on that. We physically make that right. label that and then somebody is buying that from us. Mm-hmm. We care because that person's enabling us to make a livelihood for um for our families and that right at this point you know we have a lot of people involved who rely upon the success of all three of those companies to build a to build a livelihood for their families and there's a lot of shitty businesses in the landscape Mm -hmm. across america like if if you're comparing yourselves to them all you got to do is care a little bit more Mm -hmm. than because the bar is set so incredibly low right now um that if you go above and beyond and take care of of that customer of those members they remember that like i think just right now like there's just a lot of there's a lot of shitty customer service that has Mm -hmm. been accepted as the standard right and i am so intense with trying to run a trying to take care of the customer run a good business that um it's easy when i'm the sole owner you know, Doc Spartan, there's two of us. Third and Court, there's four of us. And I can come across very, uh, very gruff and very, um, I don't know what the word is, to, to my other partners. Because I'm like, what? why the fuck are we not, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Why are you, like, and I'm, and I'm comparing it to myself. Why are you not up thinking about to eliminate this problem and, see, and like, we're like, do you want this to be your reputation, mm-hmm. to be your legacy that like a, an order screwed up and it was three days before we even answered an email for them mm-hmm. or uh, a member called us and they wanted to put their membership on freeze and it took a whole week to do that. Like that's bullshit. Like that is unacceptable. Right. And that's what I mean by intensity. Like you have to be so, you don't have to be, this is just you on have, your game. You have to yeah. be on your game because it only takes one little thing like, I want us to be known as the best. And to do that, to do that, you have to be concerned. And that's the stop bell. I yeah, think. I think that was the, the buzzer. So, um, before we go, we have a little something-something our listeners um a couple special offers here if you're if you're listening we we appreciate it and uh we want to give back to you guys and uh, our loyal i know we always joke our our 10 listeners but uh, this is more of an experiment to see jim donnelly if you're the only listener (laughs) (laughs) if you're out there and you're, you're listening um we want you to use the code for doc spartan and third and court www.docsmartin.com and thirdandcourt.com if you use the code podcast you will receive 10% off of your order online if you're interested in heading down to the gym getting a workout in joining the 101 come want to see what the madness is all about you'll get $50 off your 101 course if you mention Glock and Doc Um, and uh, Tim and Joe have graciously offered 10% off parts and service at any Glockner location um, and also $250 off the lowest market price on any car in stock. So these are just a couple uh, things just to say thank you and that we appreciate you guys and all the questions that you send us and and uh, and just for listening guys. So anything you guys want to add? That's it. Get some. I would just like to say Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys.
Make a dollar. Trying to make a dollar.